0: The press release for The Last Schmaltz says whether you know him as Toronto's king of comfort food, the Don of DuPont, or the sultan of smoked meat, a conversation about the food in restaurant scene in Toronto isn't complete without the mention of Anthony Rose. From his famous fat pasha cauliflower, which may or may not have caused the great cauliflower shortage of 2016, and Rose's son's patty melt to his pork belly fried rice and Nutella babka bread pudding, Anthony's dishes have consistently made waves in the culinary community. Now there is a cookbook so that you can make all the delicacies at home. It's called The Last Schmaltz. Uh, welcome. Nice Thank to you for having me. It's nice to see you. So I have you I used to be the chef at the Drake Hotel many right. years ago. Was yeah. that
1: your first like kind of big chefy gig? That was my first executive chef gig Yeah, yeah. for sure in Toronto.
0: Yeah, and, uh, and that's why I, I used to see you there every week.
1: Yeah, every week. Yeah. And then you would uh, you would do the famous TIFF parties as well. Yeah. And the lead up to all those things. That was, those were good times. Those
0: were good times. And you left and then you opened about 150 restaurants.
1: But, and, <laughs> but then like 142 of them closed. So I'm left with like six. So I guess eight would be the math on that one.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the cookbook just off the top here. What is Schmaltz for people that don't know?
1: Schmaltz has a couple, few different meanings to me. Mm-hmm. Num- number one, Schmaltz would be like a chicken fat, like a yep. rendered chicken fat, which we use at a lot of the restaurants, and it's um, very good for you. And the other one that we use would be Schmaltz Appetizing, mm-hmm. and which is a dairy restaurant, serves uh, cured and smoked fishes, but Schmaltz Herring, which would be at that place, is like a fatter, more oily kind of herring. Oh, my God, it's so good. And then Schmaltzy, with the Y on the end, yep. Would be like me in the restaurants <laughs> and and just kind of like over the top and a little bit of quirky, <laughs> and the book of course, the
0: Lash Malt is a takeoff on the Lats Waltz. I'm I, guessing. Have you ever?
1: You've seen the movie, correct? Yes, I have. One of like the greatest rock docs or just docs of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, I love it. And my my writing partner Chris Johns, like we could not for the life of us come up with a good title. We wanted something cheeky and fun and rock and roll. And he just texted me one day. And I FaceTimed him back right away. I was uh, I was naked on the toilet at the time, but like I had to see his face. <laughs> and I'm like, this is amazing.
0: And and what will people learn from the book? What what goes on in here?
1: You know what I love about the book. It's um, there, there's so many reference points from 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 my life, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like how the book started. We wanted it to be a little bit autobiographical and autobiographical, and, that's it, and, that's and then it. the places that I lived, whether it was Toronto or San Francisco, New York, Boston, upstate New York, and kind of all the things that I drew culinarily, but also kind of, you know, art and music from all those places as well. But then what it kind of sort of morphed into we're all those little things, but then each chapter is one of the restaurants.
0: Yeah. And and why was it important for you to put all that? I mean, you know, you, you often hear uh, people talking about, you know, food's not just about the food. It's about the life experience of the person making the food. Right. And that's what this is.
1: It, it's definitely life experience. You know, I was listening to, oh, I forget the gentleman's name. He's a Canadian writer. I think he has brothers and sisters coming out. Or sisters of brothers or brothers of oh, sisters? Oh, the sisters'
0: brothers with Sister. Joaquin
1: Phoenix. That's right. And uh, John C. Raleigh, yeah. So I, I heard an interview with him this morning. And even though he's writing fiction, what he learned over, I mean, he's got a great career, but what he learned is the only way he could really wrap his mind around it was if he placed himself within that and kind of wrote around that. So, you know, as much as The Last Schmaltz does have like a little bit of fiction in it, it's got a lot of me in it.
0: Let's go back then. How important was food to you when you were growing up?
1: It it was it was really the the only thing. I wasn't yeah. a very good student, and I was a fairly large child. And food made me very very happy. Um, I don't want to say that I ate my feelings, but I ate a lot of peanut butter. <laughs> but and I, <laughs> I called peanut butter my feelings, and. As I as I was growing up and kind of not doing so well in school, you know, I was lucky enough to you know have parents that wanted me to succeed in right. you know another realm. So you know I did work at a you know their friend's restaurant. I started washing dishes, then I started prepping, and all the while going to school. And then I actually went to Concordia for a couple of years, and it just wasn't for me. And at that point, I, I went to I, I started working full time in Toronto at Centro. Yeah, yeah. And then I worked at North 44, you know. Fancy to... restaurants.
0: You didn't. You weren't messing around.
1: No, but remember, uh, I, was, I was like a prep cook. I was a dishwasher, <laughs> but I just loved being in that realm. And then, you know, I had some family that was living in San Francisco. So I, I moved there and I went to cooking school.
0: And what was it about restaurants and, and restaurant life? Because uh, when you're working as a prep cook and when you're washing dishes and stuff, it's brutal. That is tough work. You're on your feet. You are being yelled at. You are working. It's hot in the summer. It's brutal. What was it that made you go? Yeah, man, this is the thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I I, li- I like to think that it was that it was the camaraderie. Yeah, uh, I, I was good at it, and I loved to cook. Um, I didn't mind the hours because everyone else was doing it. Everyone else was kind of just having a good time, and you know, later in life, it was very interesting to to, you know, at an early age, like 17, 18, to know that I wanted to be a chef Mm -hmm. and to know that this was my career path where all my other friends, you know, still trying to figure it out, still in university, they don't know. Um, So it it was very cool right at the beginning, just like, yeah, this is for me. I I love this.
0: And was this pre-Food Network when, because now everyone says, well, I've cooked in a restaurant for a year, so you got to call me chef. And that's not really how it works in the real world, but that's what people want. That's before this, right?
1: This me learning to cook is definitely pre-Food Network. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: and it was, I loved watching the Food Network when it came out. Uh, It was about cooking back then. It was a big cooking, yeah. and to see uh, Emeril really doing his thing and just like showing me how to make things like I would never make or learn or see, you know, it was you know, it was seminal. But it, sorry, I like that. Yes, it was before the Food Network, but you know, I talk about this, this is my business partner Rob Wilder over here. He's he's filming this. He's mm-hmm. so handsome. <laughs> but we talk about a lot. You know, as as our next move, you know, we. We, we love media and to be able to kind of not act, but just be ourselves mm-hmm. on TV. And as we're talking about it, like we grew up watching uh Jacques Pepin yeah, yeah. and the two fat ladies and even like Julia Child, like those to me are the things that are missing out of the food network. today. Yeah, and
0: I'm older than you. Galloping gourmet was uh, yeah, absolutely. like was a giant influence on me. Gra- yeah, Gra-
1: yeah. Gra- Graham, right? Yeah, oh. Graham uh, Kerr. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh my God. Like that. I loved that stuff. And that was like, And that was – it's just not on the Food Network.
0: No, it's not. It's all competition shows or people going around to other people's restaurants and going, hey, that's awesome.
1: And that's the world we live in today.
0: That is the world (laughs) we live in today. But it it has given people a a different idea about what working in a kitchen is. And you didn't have that. You didn't have that in your head. You said, though, I want to be a chef. And that didn't mean – I, I don't want to train. I don't want to. You, you actually put in the hours.
1: I put in the hours. I worked for some amazing chefs around North America. This was definitely before the Food Network. And it, it was also, remember, I, I was I was, I was was a Jewish kid. I'm a, I'm a Jewish man now. And for, like, you know, a Jewish kid, and my dad's, you know, a lawyer. My sister's now a cardiologist. Right. And they're, you know, highly, highly uber successful and amazing at what they do. But for like a Jewish kid in this in that day and age, in like the late eighties, early nineties, to be like, Yeah, I wanna I wanna be a cook or I wanna be, you know, blue collar or whatever, it was it was like, Oh, you know, that's uh that's different. You know, that's a little but my parents were amazing and they were like totally stuck behind me and, and, and helped quite a bit and still do. Now
0: are there particular recipes from the time that you were either growing up or when you were uh, uh, being mentored in restaurants that bring back really vivid memories for you?
1: One of the recipes that I love in the book is the, is the pork fried rice. Mm. And the pork fried rice, I remember cooking, I actually remember finding the dish at like a dirty, dirty uh, diner in Northern California, and at that point, it was, it was crab fried rice. Remember, like Dungeness crab right. to us on the East Coast is extremely expensive. Yeah. But on the coast in San Francisco, it's like, it's like junk food. Everyone has as <laughs> crap. So they made this, you know, very junky, dirty crab fried rice. And to me, you know, it brought back memories of, you know, eating at Lychee Garden in Toronto or House of Chan and stuff like that. Yeah. And I brought it to the restaurant. And I, was, I think I was a sous chef at Fairlawn at the time. And I did my version of that. And it was a little fancier. And people just loved it. And ever since then, you know, I bring it to every restaurant that I've ever worked at had, has or does have like a, a version of that fried rice, whether it was crab or pork. But it's it's one of those dishes that has just traveled with me, which is nice. And
0: the idea, I guess, is that you take it and you elevate it a little bit,
1: we- Sometimes elevated and sometimes de-elevated.
0: And what does that mean? I <laughs> because I think people overwork things. Is that you know too many ingredients and trying too hard?
1: Yeah, trying too hard. Like it's really kind of, it's one thing to use Dungeness crab. Yeah. But for me to use it now, it would be it would be very expensive mm-hmm. here. But we found that at Rosen Sons as a diner, people like just couldn't get enough of the pork fried rice. Right. And it was it was it was amazing.
0: Uh, we're going to continue the conversation with Anthony Rose. The book is called The Last Schmaltz, written with uh, Chris Johns. It's a cookbook, uh, and, and it sort of is a biographical cookbook. Is that what we call it? A biographical cookbook? Tells the story of your life through food?
1: A little bit. You know. Yeah. I, 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 next time maybe we'll get a little more biographical, or next time we just build a cabin in tomogamy and don't tell anyone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we'll continue the conversation with Anthony Rose when we come back. When we come back, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, the Food Network. We're going to talk about lots of things, including the Lash Malts, but I want to talk about uh, the Food Network and, and the the way that food television has impacted uh, the restaurant business because I think there is a very real impact on the restaurant business. Uh, I'm hearing it's harder to find staff. There's more people out there than ever who probably want to call themselves chefs, but there's not as many people who are, are trained. So when we come back, we continue the conversation with Anthony Rose. Stay with us. Cool. In studio, my guest is Anthony Rose. His book is called The Last Schmaltz, often funny, sometimes ridiculous, but always delicious. It's a cookbook that is kind of biographical in nature, tells you everything that you need to know about Chef Anthony Rose. Now, if you live in Toronto, you already know. About Anthony Rose, or at least you've eaten at one of his many restaurants. Uh, the cauliflower shortage of 2016—did you really cause that? <laughs> With the fat pasha cauliflower you know, dish?
1: You're 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 lucky as a chef to ever like have a dish that not only lives up to itself, like it's it's actually really good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, people love it, and then people replicate it. Right. And it wasn't the the, the whole roast cauliflower isn't my dish right. the whole roast cauliflower comes from a uh a, a, an israeli chef by the name of uh Ayel Shani, and he has a restaurant a, a bunch of them um called Miznon. and i i went there i had seen this cauliflower and literally his is is so understated and it's just like a whole roasted cauliflower nice and small and it comes to the table on paper and it's got seasoning and oil on it and like that's it yeah I'm like, wow, that's, that was fantastic. And I'm like, well, you know, how do I make that my own? And usually my own means just kind of like making it over the top. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we, we did do that. We put, you know, tons of things on there, all delicious. And, you know, we were very, very fortunate that people not only copied it, but whole roasted it and, um, and, and did everything with it. So... I, I don't want to take responsibility for the shortage, but, you know, it was crazy. How do you figure out what people want? I mean,
0: you've got a number of restaurants. And, and the thing that I, I think is, is so interesting about you as a business person, as a restaurateur, is that you're not afraid to go, okay, I'm going to change that up. You know, you had a barbecue place and you're like, ah, people here think of barbecue as like Southern barbecue. And it was meant to be like a grill place. So you just changed the name. A right. lot of people would have tried to change people's attitudes about it. But you're like, you know what? Got to change the name. Uh, you have bought and sold restaurants. You've gotten rid of places that that haven't worked for you or whatever. You're not afraid to get your hands dirty.
1: I What, what I love about it, and Rob and I talk about this a lot, is that. You know, it's okay to reinvent mm-hmm. and it's it's also okay to to fail. You know, when we had the Swan on Queen Street, you know, it was it was I think it's one of the greatest restaurants in the city. And I loved this space and I had been going there forever and ever and ever. Yeah. And it was it was heartbreaking to, to walk in there and, you know, not only get a, a bad review, and that happens to everyone, but to be able to not mentally recover from that, and then right. just make mistake after mistake, and and you just see it slide and slide away from you. It was uh, it was very difficult, but we learned so much from it. Jen
0: Egg has that restaurant now, and she of course had the Black Swan and others, and she's saying that she's going to put a sign up in the window that says "Restaurant critics not allowed," uh, because she said they they end up reviewing me, they don't end up reviewing the restaurant. And it is uh, how do you? What's your take on 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 critics in general.
1: On critics in general, I think that there's too many of them now. And everyone's a critic now.
0: With their phones, right?
1: With their like, phones, with, with Yelp, the Yelp and with, yep. with all that kind of bullshit, uh, with all that kind of stuff. And when when we first opened Rose and Sons, you know, I made the huge mistake of – I think, I think it was my mother that <laughs> – I think it was my mother – was going on Yelp and, you know, she didn't call me, she called, she called Rob and she's like, have you seen these reviews? These are, you know, there's some, you know, really right. ones out right. there and some really bad ones and, you know, sure they were good ones as well. And, you know, Rob told me and I went on Yelp and I, I think I read like two or three of them, uh, broke my heart mm-hmm. and I, I've for, I've not read another one. 6 really? years later I'm like no I don't care. And uh, cuz that was the follow
0: that's the obvious follow up here how uh, what what do you do about it and I guess the best response is
1: nothing. The best response is absolutely nothing. You know when we got, you know, a horrible review for the swan, that was a pretty bad review. Yeah. You know, we made the mistake uh, I'll, I'll take this one. I made the mistake of <laughs> uh, changing it and listening to the review right. and like changing it and trying to figure out. It's like, oh, OK, you know, didn't like this didn't like that. We, we should do this. We should do that. But it was that was the worst thing that I could have done mm-hmm. and what we do now at the restaurants is when something's not working we actually like dive deeper not only into that dish or that cuisine and just try to figure out you know how we can make it better for for ourselves and for the staff and you know for the customers as well it was, it was the biggest mistake we made I made <laughs> was changing everything I'm speaking with Anthony Rose.
0: His cookbook is called The Last Schmaltz. It's available wherever you buy fine books, and probably not so fine books right now. Uh, <laughs> Amazon.ca, uh, in every bookstore in the country, you'll be able to find this. And it's a it's a wonderful cookbook that is part biographical in nature. You said that, you know, you after getting that bad review, you changed everything, and now you've realized you don't have to do that. Is that just confidence that comes from time? Time as an owner, time as a chef, time spent talking to customers.
1: Yeah, and you got to really, you know, we, we we talked about, or you mentioned kind of like the shortages of of, of chefs mm-hmm. or cooks, or how you know you spend a year in a kitchen. And it's like, all right, I'm I'm ready now. I'm going to call myself a chef or a sous chef, and so it's it's not only the confidence of us, but it's the confidence that. We like to, you know, give the staff as mm-hmm. well to be able to make decisions and hiring the right people that, you know, can take something that we've built and and make it better and add their flavor to it as well. As long as it's done within, you know, the parameters that we've we've built a restaurant yeah. that this is it and it should feel like us, then we want the chefs and the managers to, to come to us and, you know, keep that going. Very
0: important. And you can't possibly be in every place that you own uh all the time obviously but do you do like a circuit do you do you do you touch you know the 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 floor once a day in every place or how does that work
1: i I try not to i think the best use of my time is actually is you know during the day you know um, rob and i spend a lot of time together talking about you know where each restaurant is going and we're trying to as i said dive deeper into each one of the restaurants and instead of making, you know, split second or rash decisions mm-hmm. very quickly and then calling the manager and the chef and to change it, you know, we're, we're actually, you know, doing more research on it. Or we kind of sit with an idea for like a week or two weeks. And we're like, all right, this, this still works. Let's do that. But in terms of my day, you know, I like to spend more time at like one restaurant rather than kind of going everywhere. Sometimes if it's like, a, you know, a Friday, Saturday night and everyone's busy, everyone's hopping, you know, sure, I'll go from one to the other to the other. To the other, to the other, to the other, (laughs) and which is easy for me because they're, you know, they're all on DuPont Street.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's why they, what do they call you? The Dawn of DuPont Street in Toronto. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Anthony Rose. The book is called The Last Schmaltz, uh, co-written with Chris Johns, and it is uh, a cookbook. That spans Anthony's entire career. Uh, there are how many re- how many recipes
1: in here? I think there's like eighty something recipes, maybe.
0: Eighty something recipes. But look at these
1: pictures, eh? Yeah, the pictures are
0: amazing. Uh, when we come back, we'll we'll sort of dive into actually what's in the book, what right. people can expect, and and what level of skill you need to cook from this book. Stay with us. Anthony Rose is my guest in studio. His book is called The Last Schmaltz, A Very Serious Cookbook. So the name doesn't really sound all that serious, but the recipes within are. Some of them are serious. Yeah. So what kind of skill set do I need to be able to cook from your cookbook?
1: You know, I brought you a gift today. Oh, did you? Richard. I like presents. It's it's from Schmaltz Appetizing. Yes. And it's a challah. Oh, I like challah bread. It's the recipe from the book. And it's Bonnie Stern's recipe. Yeah, yeah. Who is was a good friend, mentor of mine. Now, this hala which I'm presenting you right now. Yes. And you're like you. not, you don't, you don't, don't eat it. Don't, don't eat it. Oh, it's too late.
0: so this is uh
1: this was baked really early this morning go home with this make toast out of it i will your your wife will love it make grilled cheese out of it or just tear it apart and like dip it into soup
0: you know what i I will take photographs of it as well and post them around so people can see just how beautiful that is
1: so one of the things that i love about the book is you can have a recipe like the challah and you know Hella scares people, bread mm-hmm. scares people, but it's actually pretty simple, right? It's like three or four ingredients, water, flour, and yeast, a tiny bit of yeah, sugar yeah. and salt, like, and that's it. You just have to be patient and sure, you're going to screw up the first one and second one, right. but it's water and flour, like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> so that one, you know, has like a, a little deeper into it. You can be scared of it, but I wouldn't be scared of it. But we also have a recipe for egg salad, and it's, you know, a version of my mother's egg salad. And I don't eat anyone's egg salad except hers. And that, you know, takes yeah. you all of 10 minutes to yeah, make. Yeah. But there are – I think there's a recipe in there for, like, a brownie sundae that we do at Rose and & Sons. And I think the first thing I say is, like, go out and buy a, a soft-serve ice cream machine <laughs> <laughs> for thousands and thousands of dollars. One of the last recipes in the book, which I think is the simplest because it's, it's the um, – what's it called when we're by the shore or the shore lunch, right? right. Um, after you're fishing or while you're fishing and sure, the fish come right out of the water, but then you take a can of beans and throw them in the coals and um you've got some, um some cornmeal to dredge with. And it's like, it, it's as simple as that. Right. Right. And people are even like, you know, scared of cooking over a fire, but like, that is like the best lunch that we had in that book was in Tamagami in the middle of nowhere. And sure. Our, our shore lunch might have included foie gras, yeah. but it was uh, it, it was worth it. So simple is, generally
0: speaking, better.
1: Is that, I, I it, think you so, think so, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: And so uh, because often if I'm reading a menu and I see a list of ingredients, and not I'm not talking about, you know, hyperglycerol, but whatever, you know, is that, right. I'm reading a list of ingredients and I don't know what half of them are. It alienates me a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I, I feel the same way when I buy a cookbook. Yeah. I, mean, I usually buy a cookbook, not necessarily for the recipes, probably first for the pictures. Yeah. Like I can foot. Pictures are through beautiful it. in here. Thank yeah. you. Um, photographer Kayla Rocca did a great job on there. So not only – the first thing I look at is the pictures and, and then the stories. And even like later on, like I've got a large collection of cookbooks, probably like 500. And I've cooked out a very few of them. Right. But I like to – you know, I'll notice a picture, or a title, and then I'll skim the recipe. Like, oh, I I can do that or I can do my version of that. Right, right? And that that's important to me. And
0: when you're setting up a new restaurant, I mean, is that kind of what you do? You think – you know, or where do inspira- Where do the various inspirations come from?
1: My life, where yeah. I've been, um, my my culture, my Judaism, my friends, and my travels. It has to it has to mean something to me for sure. And and the, the
0: store Schmaltz is very successful. You're opening up another one,
1: right? And
0: and it's it's a, a great. It's a small space uh, we've been in.
1: Yeah, it's like 100-plus square feet. Yeah, yeah. It's like nothing. But, that it, thing.
0: but I, I love that it's bustling when you're in. It feels exciting. It's like going to uh, – um, uh, what's the place in New York that we go? Russ and Daughters. D- yeah, that's yeah. it. Russ and Daughters in New York. And it, it feels like you're in there, and there's kind of an energy that comes with that.
1: Right. You're know, it's you absolutely right. I love that about Rose and Sons as well. Right. It's small, but it's packed. Yeah. And it's funny when you talk about the the new schmaltz. One of the things that we felt is actually we had like we had too much room there, so <laughs> we're like well, we want we want it to be busier and, yeah, yeah. and, and more bustling. So we're actually working on a, a bakery concept right now where we're gonna have this uh, this cake program there, very simple cakes, but you're kind of like building a. a uh, a sandwich out of a cake, same thing that you would like walk down the line, pick a cream cheese and a fish, right, and so right, on. Right. You can do the same thing with the cake and walk out of there with this like wicked, decadent, over the top
0: sandwich. I don't know. I don't know anyone that does this.
1: Yeah, don't. The, hopefully, by when this airs in three weeks, it'll we, already be ready. Yeah, we won't tell. We won't tell.
0: Any, we won't tell anybody. No one's listening anyway. I'm speaking with Anthony Rose. The book is called The Last Schmaltz, a very serious uh, cookbook. What food trend do you find
1: overrated? Food trend overrated? I don't, I don't know, man. You know, I think that the trend to me, like even when you talk about what I do, a lot of people say that comfort food is very trendy. Right. And I, I would agree with that. But I think if it's, you know, if it's true to the heart and it comes from a good place, then, then, it, then it's not. Um, in terms of trends, you know, I, I, don't, I don't really follow the trends, so mm-hmm. I couldn't say it. I don't even eat like that or go out to eat like yeah. that either. I always think that
0: if you like it, it's good.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Or it's good if you like it. A lot of people, you know, slag the trends, but like a lot of trends are wicked too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: are there ingredients that always make a dish better?
1: You just gotta cook from the heart. I know that sounds so (laughs) cheeky and shticky, but (laughs) listen, man, if it if it means something to you and you're just kind of like taking care while you're doing it. And you can tell which chefs do that and which restaurants do that very easily. Is
0: it harder when you scale larger to do that?
1: Absolutely. Like even in the past, you know, uh, three years, two years, you know, we, we decided, you know, sure, we can keep growing. And we've had many offers to open up more restaurants, mm. but in the meantime, you know, we, we lost a restaurant, and and yeah. you're not you're not as new as you are anymore, and you're not as busy as you are anymore. So we're like, well, let's let's just concentrate on what we have, make that better, and you know, really in, like just enjoy our lifestyle. We don't need to just pile more stuff on our plate. I love that at
0: Barbagonia, for instance, uh, you have Negronis on tap, yeah, I love that, that sort of thing, and and again, it, for me. Um, I look for, when I'm thinking about new places, uh, it was the Negronis on tap that went, that's a place I got to check out. Yeah. I hadn't seen them before. And, uh, um, it was a Negroni is for, in, for my money, the perfect cocktail. I would agree It is that. the only cocktail that matters. And so to have them on tap is, uh, is exciting. And that's what got me in the door there. Oh, that's
1: cool. Yeah. And it's such a pretty restaurant too. It is. Yeah.
0: It is. Well, and again, uh, this is heard across the country. So we're, we'll get just a little Toronto-centric for a second. That place was just empty for a million years.
1: Right? Yeah, the, the, the I can never
0: understand in the the middle of the biggest city in the country, you have these buildings that just are empty.
1: But remember, Dupont was extremely blue-collar. That's right, right. So the 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 rents weren't crazy, and there was the sign outside that said "Build to Suit Forever." Yeah, yeah. And so he had actually talked to all the restaurateurs in the city, all the business guys in the city, and no one, uh, no one took the plunge. So he decided the landlord to put it back on the market as a, as a lease, and you know we got in touch with him right away.
0: And, uh, and the place is doing well, and I love what you do there. Is that, That's the place that you do, like, the little flea markets in the back and the whole yeah, thing? Yeah, the flea
1: market out back. Madame Buff. we just closed uh, last week to a hot dog eating contest, which <laughs> I actually competed in. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs>
0: But I love, you know, the the idea that you have to constantly be thinking and reinventing. There is no sitting back and There's resting no on sitting. your laurels, right? And you know
1: what? It was, you know, we talked about the, the Drake at the beginning. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I learned a lot of that there. Right. It's like, they're just kind of like... Keep doing things, you know, what's next, what's interesting, you know, what can we what can we try, and, you know, if we fail, great, let's try something else, right? Yeah. It's, you know, cooking is one thing, but, you know, restaurants, you know, to make sure that people are, are are coming back, not only for the food and the atmosphere, but give them other reasons as well. And there's
0: a difference between being a chef and being a restaurateur.
1: You know, very much so. Yeah,
0: yeah. The chef... Uh, it, takes care of the menu, takes care of the food, takes care of that stuff. The restaurateur, though, has to think differently about the entire place.
1: Yeah, it was so, you know, I'm lucky enough that, you know, my partner Rob and I, you know, we, we hang out a lot together and we talk a lot. And we also try not to talk about the restaurants all the time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would just bore each other to death. You live in an
0: echo chamber. Yeah, yeah
1: it's, a, it's, a, it's too much. But we do... You know, the, the more that we're creative together and the more that we surround ourselves with like-minded people, like the, just the easier it gets. When
0: we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Anthony Rose. The book is called The Last Schmaltz. It is available anywhere that you buy cookbooks, that you buy books online or in brick-and-mortar stores. Stay with us in studio my guest is Anthony Rose his book the last schmaltz a very serious cookbook is in stores right now uh, 80 some odd recipes and you said 82 recipes ranging from uh, how to make bread and uh, you know egg salad sandwiches to things that are a little bit more complex beautiful photography plus stories from your life and it sort of puts everything in context why do we want to cook this particular dish on page 91.
1: What's on page 91? Let's have a look and see what's on page <laughs> 91. But,
0: but uh, sort of by and large I'm just saying that the stories contextualize the food.
1: Yeah, very very much so and it is it, it's fun to be able to kind of like look at um barbagonia. Well, there's nothing on page 91. <laughs> no, there's nothing.
0: Uh th- just lakayam. It says it's a toast. That, yeah.
1: yeah. So it is interesting to be able to look at let's say barbagonia and make A dish like duck confit with Mm -hmm. a sweet potato gratin, you know, that for all intents and purposes, you know, should take, you know, 24 to 48 hours just getting the duck ready to go. And then flipping through to the chapter that's on Madame Boeuf, where essentially I'm telling you how to make a hamburger. Yeah, yeah. And most people know how to make a hamburger, but most people don't know how to make a hamburger my way.
0: That'll blow your mind, Hamburger. That's
1: right. Simple but delicious.
0: (laughs) So uh, Rose and Sons, one of uh, the diners. Now, that was uh, a place that was a diner for a million years. It was
1: people's diner.
0: Yeah, and for a long time, for decades, I think. Yeah. And then you took it over, turned it into Rose and Sons, kept it as a diner. It has now changed into a Jewish deli, and there will be further changes sort of coming down the road. We're talking about going deeper, examining what people want, and also kind of pointing the way a little bit.
1: Yeah, so it's, you know, when when we open up a restaurant, and I like to say that the Delicatessen, Rose and Sons, is is new. Yeah. We we kept very few of the dishes that we had at the diner. I I find that the restaurant doesn't really know exactly who it is, you know, for for a year. Right. And, you know, sure, maybe there's, you know, other people that open a restaurant with, this is exactly who we are, what we are, this is it. But I, I don't I don't believe it. You know I think that a restaurant needs to kind of to relax. It needs right. to kind of figure out who it is. And Get lived and, in a little exactly. bit. Exactly. You know it's it's like I wear the same jeans. You know for you know two weeks straight, and after that, I'm like oh I'm happy now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same thing with with restaurants, and we find with with the delicatessen that. We love everything, but we actually think it. If we kind of took the flavors a little deeper into what we're doing, and you know, putting like a, you know, cold tongue on the on the menu, or brisket and onions, which is a recipe from my mother, or fricassee, which is from uh, Rob's um, from Gela, right? That's Gela, right? That's her recipe, and it's fricassee to me. Like these are these these aren't necessarily deli specific dishes, but they're what we like to call Jewish diner dishes so right. friggizy to me is is chicken giblets and necks and feet with like little ground beef meatballs all stewed together sweet and sour onions like it's it's a ridiculous dish yeah, It's yeah. just fantastic <laughs> so th- like those are the type of things that we want to we want to bring back and you were saying before that there used to be deli's on every corner in yeah, Toronto. Yeah, there
0: were there were delis on on in most big cities and small ones too, all across North America, and they're they they've disappeared by and
1: large. They disappeared, like some of the best ones in Toronto, and everyone will know the name Shopsees mm-hmm. and and Drugsees. You know, were the you know the, the biggest delis yep. uh, going around. Even pickle barrel back in the day yeah. was a delicatessen. That's right. And today, you know, there's you know Kaplansky's. You know, to me, which which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And there's a few others, you know, here and there, but they're they're they haven't really stood the test of time, or they've. I don't like to use the word sold there, but they've just kind of morphed into something that's a little more easier for everyone to understand.
0: Right, right. And and so, how will you, for lack of a better word, sell this concept to to the larger market?
1: We, what we find with schmaltz appetizing, which is you know the the, the other. Half of the ball there, where Schmaltz Appetizing is a dairy restaurant, yeah. and Rosen Sons is is a deli, and you know milk and meat don't meet. Right. So what we found at Schmaltz, you know, we we stayed pretty clear to the game. Like you, know, even though we don't sell a lot of herring, it's like, well, no, let's let's keep the herring there. Yeah. And we don't sell like a, a ton of. Um, you know, the, the white fish. But people have, like, started just, like, loving it. It outsells the tuna now. So we wanted to stick to our guns. And when you look at Rose and Sons, like, yeah, you know, like, you know, corned beef is good, but our pastrami is fantastic. Right. And the salami is good, but our, like, smoked turkey is amazing. So we actually find the things that we have more, more control over that we make from scratch right. is better. Yeah. So let's make more of those things, even if it means that we have a smaller menu, but let's like, you know, just cook from, you know, what our grandparents ate or like, you know, what my parents ate as kids growing up. Because it kind of skipped a couple generations.
0: And it's comfort food. It is and absolutely, absolutely you are the Jewish king of comfort diner food. comfort food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what is it, you know, we, we talk about comfort food and I know what comfort food means to me. And I, it might be different for every person listening. For me, comfort food is the food that my grandmother would have made me. So it's mashed potatoes and meatloaf, you know? Amazing. And, and that sort of yeah. like I have a very clear idea of what, what it is. And I can tell when I need comfort food. When I'm having it, that means that, you know. Yeah,
1: it comes from either someone in your life or a time in your life, Yeah, right?
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, for the food that you're serving here, it's a comfort food. It comes from your family lineage and, and the family of people around you. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who's your personal food idol?
1: Oh, that's a that's a good one. You know, I've got I've got a few. Mm-hmm. You know, as we started to watch the Two Fat Ladies again, I, yeah. I love those guys. And you know, I worked closely with uh, Jonathan Waxman over yeah. the years, and you know, his his ID, I ideas of just you know keep it like really simple, mm-hmm. but you just use good ingredients and you know just don't too, do too much to to the dish. Um, Mark Franz, who has a, a few restaurants in San Francisco, one, one of the cookbooks that I that I always go back to over and over and over again is the Jeremiah Tower cookbook from Stars in San yeah. Francisco as well. That guy fascinates me. <laughs> I, I've met and interviewed him. Have you really? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, man. And he's you know, hilarious, right? He is, and he's a guy. If you don't know who he is, he's uh, credited as creating California cuisine. Yeah, uh, had uh, he was the first celebrity chef, really, That's with right. stars and 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 Shaping then he dropped out. Then he just went ah, enough of this and yeah. and buggered off to Mexico, you know. And but the, his story is nuts. He was a poor little rich boy, you know, a wealthy parents who ignored him, and he told me that he learned his love of food because they would take the Queen Mary and be <laughs> on the sea for two or three weeks at a time and and his parents would ignore him. And so he would hang out with the waiters and the kitchen oh staff God. and thing. The stories are amazing.
1: Yeah. The, he's, have you read his cookbook? Yeah. it's. it's and I love how he kind of like, he totally just credits himself. Yeah. it's like i did this artichokes in america it's because <laughs> of me I, you're welcome he is uh so the the chef that i worked for mark franz mark was actually the the chef at stars for the uh, whole time it was open Wow! so i was lucky enough to kind of like learn from him and get bits and pieces of of jt off of that but That's yeah it's uh, his that book to me is just one of like a great read and a great look and the stories are Fabulous. And
0: Bourdain made a great... Anthony Bourdain made a great documentary about him. Yeah, it's... uh, He's something. He was a character that I loved meeting. He was on the (laughs) first season of my TV show, Pop Life, and we were supposed to talk for you know 12 or 15 minutes, whatever it was. We ended up talking for over an hour and then trying to cut it down and squeeze it all into the show. Well, was
1: there vodka and or champagne there? There was a little bit of both of those things (laughs) in there,
0: and that was... uh, (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I, I said, I said to him at one point, I said, tell me, uh, uh, how you made it through, you know, being a chef in the eighties, the hottest restaurant in the world, probably. And he goes, well, it's uh, easy, it's uh, cocaine and champagne. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, but you have to get it just right. It has to be just exactly right. I'm in conversation with Anthony Rose. His book is called the last schmaltz co-written with Chris Johns. It's a very serious cookbook. Uh, in our in our final couple of minutes here we've talked about the difficulty in 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 getting new staff because people want to start at the top right away they don't want to start off as dishwashers and move their way up the way that you did that sort of thing um what would you tell people who are looking to get in the restaurant business right now
1: you know find find somewhere where where you want to be and where you're treated with respect and you're learning something you know we have turnover just like any other restaurant. Yep. And I'd like to think that it's a, a little lower because, you know, we have, you know, some fantastic management that, you know, will, will like listen to the staff and kind of like understand you and mm-hmm. kind of work with you on a, on a dish or an issue, whatever it is. And w- what I love about the restaurants that we've created is that, you know, we, we have a lot of employees and it's hard to hear everyone and issues come up all the time, but you know, we, we try. And if, you know, we feel, and if we fail, it's like, well, let's, let's work on this again. And when you're looking for a job, you know, it's one thing to be able to cook at, you know, the newest, best, you know, busiest restaurant in in town, you know, but are, are you getting something out of it? Mm -hmm. Are you enjoying it? Do you like the people next to you?
0: Always be learning.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Always be learning and just like wanting to go to work. In the morning or the noon or whatever it is. So important.
0: I worked in bars and restaurants for years. I didn't uh, work in the kitchen. I was a bartender. For 17 years, a very long time. I haven't done it for a very long time. But I chose the places that I worked very carefully. And it wasn't always the newest, hottest place. I didn't want to work in those places. I wanted to work in places where uh, they did interesting things, where we were going to uh, have interesting and and cool customers. And that I was going to wake up in the morning and feel like, you know, putting on that white shirt and black pants and going in and doing it. Yeah. Good. Yeah, it's very important. Uh the cookbook is called The Last Schmaltz it's written by my guest today Anthony Rose uh, co-written with Chris Johns who's Chris Johns
1: Chris Johns is a eponymous writer in Toronto yeah. Sometimes I use the word eponymous uh. incorrectly. It might have been right there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think it's like larger than life, but it's not. No, eponymous
0: means it's uh, if, it, if the book was called Chris Johns, he would be the eponymous Chris Johns oh. because it's named after him.
1: All right, CJ, that one's for you. <laughs> but um, yeah, Chris is uh you know, a, a lifestyle writer, a food yeah. writer. He did the True North cookbook. Mm. Um, He also did the Prince Edward County, um, you know, book as well, which came out earlier this year. And, you know, we got along really, really well. And the photography is done by Kayla Rocca, who also does like a good amount of lifestyle things as well. And, you know, between, you know, yeah, his words, my words, and Kayla's photography. You know, we're, we're very proud of what
0: we've done. The book is called The Last Schmaltz, a very serious cookbook available everywhere. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much for this.
1: Thanks, man. That was
0: great. My thanks to you for listening. My thanks to Chris Kant on the board. And nice. we'll talk to you again next week.